Welcome back to the Irish Repair Podcast, episode number 10. Today we are joined by a very special guest, a fellow Irish podcaster based in Perth, Alwyn Hoyens. So thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. I am absolutely delighted to be here. First time I've ever been interviewed by men, which <laughs> is amazing. I'm sick of... Uh, I'm sick of my own fucking voice. Yeah. Like, I really am. I'm like, oh, give me a break. Yeah. It's such a special episode. It's number 10 for us is huge. It's massive. Like, did we even think we get to 10? You know, now we're doing 10 and it's a special one. We're doing one, you know, the boys and the girls getting together, like Irish. We've both got podcasts. We're both pretty new to it. We're pretty new to it. And it's just a good vibe. I've been looking forward to this one all week. You, oh, How am um, could you take us through the steps of how you started? We all know, we, we started, we were very nervous at the start. So how did you actually come to say, yes, I'm going to do a podcast? Yeah, you know what? I think initially it started with, I think most people are familiar that I did a podcast episode. There's a uh, parenting specialist. Her name was Janet Lansbury. Um, I was really struggling in parenting, which, you know, sparked the podcast, sparked pretty much everything for me in the last few years. But I contacted her and essentially just kind of said that, you know, I'd been trying to be a conscious parent, really trying to show up for my kids in the way that in a different parenting way that I had been parented, which was pretty much suppress them. You know, I wanted to give them the opportunity to be their own individuals, you know, not feel like they had to be something that I wanted them to be. But I was fucking struggling so much. I really was. So eventually I had emailed her and I said, I love your information, but it doesn't work for people like me, people with trauma, you know. Um, And she was like, God, she said, I was bawling reading your email. Would you come on the podcast? And I said, oh, okay. So going on to that podcast, you know, I was awful nervous. I was like, what will I say? And I just was like, do you know what? Whatever I say, I say, Mm. it'll be fine. So I did that podcast. And then because of that podcast, I ended up doing the group and the group then started getting a bit popular. And that was just essentially me sharing the absolute ugliest parts of my healing journey. Um, Everything that people normally don't share, I would share it, you know, and... Um, that podcast ended up being on the top seven of all of her podcasts with three quarters of a million downloads. So who, was, just just for people who don't know, who's Janet Lansbury? She, she's from America. She? Yeah, she's an American and she's a, a respectful parenting specialist, kind of. Um, she's very well known. Um, so... Yeah, essentially it was just from that podcast that then I was kind of like, you know, her husband was like, Alwyn, I really think you should, you know, think about doing a podcast yourself. You're very relaxed on air. And so um, I did a lot of lives on my group and I kind of got used to them. Mm. And I was getting the push to kind of do a podcast because the problem I was having was I have a wealth of knowledge and I was really struggling sharing all of my knowledge um, and everything I've learned uh, in this small space of the group. Um, and I just kind of had that idea of the podcast. And then I saw that free workshop, the free workshop for a podcast. And I just saw that as a sign. I said, like, fine. I'll That's do what it. we should have went to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We missed the boat on that one. But you know what? The, that, that, um, that workshop that she did, it, the way she made it out, it was like, everyone will succeed. This is the easiest thing possible. Um, but one of the great things she had said, I'd sent it on to my sister, not really planning to, you know, for us to do the podcast together. But I said, you know, this is really good information. She works on a, a truck, driving the truck 12 hours a day. So she can listen to things, you know, all the time. Yeah. So she listened to it and she was like, wow, that's really interesting. But she was like, you know, if we're going to, she said, you know, I really think that you should start up the podcast. And I was like, I 
I can't do this. There's too much, like, I hate editing, hate all that shit. And I was like, if I do it, will you do it with me? So she was like, fine. My sister is... Like, I am up there in the air, floaty, you know, not a bother. And she is logical down to a T. She plans everything. So she said to me, as long as we have 50 episodes recorded within the next six months, I'll start. I was like, that's that's your sister, Jackie. I was, I was, um, we gave it, we mentioned your podcast maybe two episodes ago and I was saying two and I'd listened to it and I was saying, oh, two Irish girls from, from back home set up a podcast. I, and then I listened to it back. I said, why didn't I say they were sisters? And, you, know, <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, when you're in the, when you're talking sometimes, you listen to it back and you're going, you know, when you're in the moment, yeah. you're just thinking. Oh yeah. yeah. Sorry. I actually asked Joe, I said, are they sisters? Cause you know the way people can call each other. Oh, how's it going yeah. brother? How's it going? I wasn't sure if that was just like slang for like friends. Yeah. But yeah she is your sister. Yeah. She is my sister. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I love the way she, Jackie says it, like she said on the podcast, but she was like, I, we talked about it after doing a few months of, we did pre-recording. So we've pre-recorded six months of content. Wow. Have you? Swear to God. Wow. One thing I said to the guys, and I think I said it on the episode, you guys are miles ahead of us, even with the flyers and, and, and everything. Like uh, you can get it on all platforms. I've seen Google Play, yeah. all these things. I'm like, these girls are on the ball. <laughs> I said, Nothing yeah. to do with me. No, I honestly all, yeah. show up. All Jackie, like, you know, she just loves that. And as well, because she's on the truck as well, she's, you know, she has, she trains uh, people as well yeah. on the truck. So she right. has more time time to kind of, you know, really research all that stuff. Where, where are you guys from? Uh, Galway. Oh, you're Galway? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. Because I, I was saying, I didn't know where you're from. I didn't want to ask anyone. I wanted to ask you on the podcast. So yeah. You're actually Galway. Did yeah. you notice the amount of Dublin people in Perth at the minute? Up the dubs. Oh, do you know what? I haven't really, I don't even see that many. I don't really meet that many we, Irish people, you yeah, know. Yeah, we, we, we done a poll yesterday. Five, um, it was over 500 votes. And uh, the amount of Dublin people here. It blew me. You, me. You, you called it, Joe. You were saying that you hardly met any dubs. Um, and then it was Donegal after that. It went yeah. Donegal and then uh, Galway was maybe seventh. Yeah. down the track. Mm-hmm. So, but you know what? When we came over, I think we came over roughly around the same time. So I came, we're what, 12 years now here? Yeah. I think are you roughly around the same, same time? Yeah. 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 And yeah. you know what? I didn't know one, one Galwegian. Like yeah. my husband <laughs> knew a lot of the, the country, but I'm city. So I didn't know anyone here. So did you guys meet over here or back home? No, so back home. Back home, So yeah. we, we moved out together and then he knew a lot of people from like Abinakmoy, Atnrai yeah. in Galway. I didn't know anyone. Not Have you guys been here all that time or have you yeah. gone back at all? No, we've been here all that time. And you know what? We came here thinking, ah, yeah, we'll stay for a year. We weren't the type yeah. that were like going to be staying yeah. forever. Everyone's gone now. Like yeah. most of everyone that we know is gone and it's just us. We're like, how did we be then <laughs> ones that stayed, yeah. you know? But we also, that's, we recognize now that that has been a massive part of our healing journey mm-hmm. for me and, and I have quite a few Irish clients, you know, the space that we have from Ireland actually becomes the catalyst for healing you know because when you're with your family of origin when we are in Ireland it's very hard to open up Pandora's box Mm. and look into those parts of you that you need to heal or those anxieties the depression when you're you know, taken out of that bubble and we are all here, we're new, you get to create a new life, get to create something new. And for a lot of people, um, a lot of the clients that I've had that are Irish as well, it has become a catalyst for some of that deeper trauma, some of that shit that they wouldn't have probably dealt with in Ireland mm. to come out. When you, when you say um, um, your clients, what, what is it for people that don't know, what is it that you So, do? well, I began um, health and life coaching, well, I think eight years, no, my son's five now. 
six. Um, so five years ago, I started health and life coaching. At that point, um, it was because I had an eating disorder and I really wanted to. I believed at that point that, you know, I would be happy when I was skinny. That was it. Right. As long as I got skinny, that was the path to happiness. And I think everyone could, you know, relate as long when I have that house, when I have that job, when I have this amount of money, when I have whatever it is that I'm going to have. So at that point in time, for me, I um, I just was constantly trying to be on diets. Uh, I thought it was a willpower thing. And um, long story short, it just ended up that I really started looking inwards. And I realized that, you know, it was nothing to do with the food was only masking how much I just hated myself, how much self-loathing I had and no amount of weight loss or how I looked in the mirror was going to change how I felt about myself inside. And once I let go of, you know, some of that deep wounding and self-hatred, I just lost weight anyway. That just became a natural thing. Mm. And so that's what like started me off on the journey. I had a little bit of time then where life was a bit calm and relaxed. And then uh, my sister and I had suppressed memories of childhood abuse come up then Four years ago, I think now, three, three. That's that's something you spoke about. Like we all, the reason this, I think, I listened to your episodes and my, I thought, right, you come here, I can tell straight away and I think you boys will agree, you're a ball of energy and you, I yeah. just, it's been like the most relaxed we've been starting a podcast, like, because yeah. you're just so chilled. Um, when you listen to those really hard topics that you spoke about, you know, myself and Joe told our stories when, when we were on here and they're very hard to talk about. And you're always thinking about back home and how it might affect people back home, like family mm. and that. When, like, it was so brave to talk about that topic in particular. Mm. Um, did you get any backlash from family back home or... You know, it's a bit easier for me, actually, at that point. Right. You know why? Um, I talked to my sister about this and, and she's more a bit anxious about, I guess, the backlash and stuff. Um, you know, I because of my trauma and because of what I endured in childhood, I nearly left my kids, mm. you know, and it was real, like the trauma, the pain, the suffering, everything that I endured in the last few years. It was all because of um, the choices that my family made or my parents made um, that caused that pain and suffering within me, that that made me get to that point where I was willing to leave my children without a mother um, and that I just you know, I became that aggressive person that I was because I was suffering so much. And so, you know, I think, you know, and when you stare death in the face, I just am like, I couldn't give a fuck, mm. you know, like, you know, my pain, the amount of pain that I suffered and as well, what my kids experienced um, with me at that time was very difficult for them. And I just see it as an opportunity for me in sharing all of my pain and sharing those deepest wounds, I feel like it makes it okay. Like it makes it um, worthwhile that they suffered because they lost their mom for about two years where I was really in a bad place. My poor husband was really struggling. Um, it was hell. But I guess I just see it now as this is my opportunity to use that pain and do something good with it. And, you know, when I think about it having an, an adverse reaction on those at home, it's a bit easier for me because I'm like, 
no one cared about me when I was on the side of a ledge here, you know, no one was there showing up for me. I dug myself out of that hole. And I'm telling you, it was the fucking hardest thing anyone could ever do. Oh, and you touched on something that in your first podcast with your sister about the little girl inside you that, mm. that wasn't healed. That was yeah. w- when you felt you were getting angry with your kids. And that really hit home with me that the little the little person inside you not being fully healed and yeah. and it's staying with you for, for a long time in your life. Um, just if you explain a bit more about about have you been healed, uh, not since, but have you worked on that since and, and what is the process for that? Yeah, like, you know, in reality, each and every single person in the world has an unhealed child within them. Every one of us, you know, you don't have to have severe trauma to have wounds or um, children, that those little boys or girls within us. But essentially, the way that I see it is when you experience something traumatic, you know, say, for example, with your trauma, you know, um, that was a big trauma where, you know, you came home, your brother had um, died. You know, what happens is in a traumatic moment, we press pause. So you at that age become frozen in time. You don't process the trauma. You don't process any of the pain, any of the suffering, anything. You lock that up in a tight container. Then you shove it in the deepest recesses of your subconscious and it stays there. The way that that shows up for each of us then in adulthood, if I could show you energetically what I see, if I look at all of us here in the world, each one of us carries gigantic backpacks with really big, heavy rocks in them every single day. We wake up and we reach for our coffee and we reach for our phone, everything to suppress or take our attention away from the amount of the weight and the heaviness that we carry every single day. Some of us have bigger backpacks than others, but none of us are actually truly living because all of us are weighed down by the trauma of the past because none of us have really stopped to look at what's in those bags. If you were to look at me energetically now, you know, I've done a lot of healing, which means I've stopped. I've had to pause and kind of take out some of those big rocks, look at the weight, look at the pain, feel it, allow it to process through my body and leave it there, move on. And so, you know, for me, my life is so much more filled with joy and contentment and happiness now because I have done a lot of that inner work. All those backpacks, all those rocks can kind of, I guess, symbolize those wounded children within me, the little girl who was abused, the little girl who was beaten, whatever that be. Do you do you ever feel yourself falling back into like a relapse, like back into those thoughts ever? Or, or so have, you, have you got that under control? That's a great question. And I love that question because, you know, this is the thing that we fool ourselves into. We think that there's a destination and you get to that destination and you're, you're fixed. And I really thought that that would be the case. I was thinking all I have to do is get to that point where, you know, I'm fixed and I'm healed and I've got it all sorted. But in reality, you know, life is a journey. And the way I see it is it's like, you know, you're here and the way, you know, you want to get, instead of, if you want to go somewhere, if you want to get to a point in time, if you want to, um, say, get to a place where you feel safe and happy within yourself, then you have to put that, it's like a car, if you're going on a journey, you have to put that into the satnav. You know, you choose, okay, I'm here, I don't like where I am right now, and I want to be there in a space where I'm a good mother, where I'm happy in my job, where I just feel content in life. But most of us don't put that, you know, destination into our satnav. So we are driving around with our subconscious in circles. You know, we're not actually going or 
you know, putting um, an effort to focus on where we're going. But like the journey, if you get into the car, right, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to put in Ireland as my destination, and that is a point in time where I'm happy and content, you know, you're going to have moments where you break down, you know, where you've got obstacles in the road. You're going to have moments where you stop by those beautiful, you know, um, those beautiful landmarks uh, landmarks you know those moments where you're like fuck this is living and you feel the joy and the happiness and then you're also going to have moments where you go through a dark tunnel you know but the difference between when you're at the beginning of the journey and where you're where I'm at now is I know that I'm always going to have obstacles I always am going to have those moments where it's beautiful and bright and I'm always going to have those moments where it gets really dark and I have no reception and I can't hear and feel anything but the thoughts inside my head which is scary and those thoughts inside my head inside that tunnel will say oh you're shit you know you're not healed you're crap you're going backwards but where I'm at in my healing I recognize now I say no I'm just going through a tunnel it's a bit shitty right now. I'm feeling a lot of feelings, but I am not afraid of the things I feel within me as much as I was. There's definitely times where I definitely do, I would say I regress, but I don't think we ever, ever, ever go backwards. We're always going forwards. We're just meeting new obstacles. I think, um, yeah, the main, the main thing is you're probably more conscious of your subconscious now. Yeah. So, so that's, 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 that's huge. Um, you know, like you said, I think all of us, everyone has a child inside them that hasn't. And I kind of, when I got diagnosed and, and told I was terminal, they, it's only then I started looking into, right, because I believe that through my actions and mm. maybe through generational patterns, whatever it was, that that I, I, I got ill, you know, I've, I've no doubt in my mind. And, and that's just, that's something I stand by. So I've done a lot of, you know, looking inwards and I've done a lot of um, self-work and healing mm. over the last couple of years. And one thing I, I'd say is, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for people that maybe take on the journey before it's too late. Mm. You know, before the diagnosis or before, you know, an, an incident or, or anything like that. So that those people, I'm just, you know, and I always say it's it's hard to say, um, to to try and tell people to go out there and just try and see if that okay because it's very it's it's very like you said it's it's in the subconscious. A lot of people don't get it. They think they're fine until they come to some sort of roadblock. Yeah, um, and I think do you know what like do you know what I find the hardest part is, you know, for me. Yeah, like I, I did choose to go on the journey. Um, I, there was a bit of a backstory to that, but I guess I did choose. We all kind of choose. One of the things I always say is like, you know, we all come to a point where um, the discomfort of staying the same, even if that's in a shit life, the discomfort of staying the same has to be more comfortable, uncomfortable than the discomfort of change. And so it's that tipping point that we all get to. And obviously, you know, being um, diagnosed with a terminal illness, that's a tipping point. It's like the discomfort of staying the same in the patterns and in these wounds that, that you once would have lived in is way more uncomfortable than the, the discomfort of choosing change. But one thing I really want to touch on, and which is really important, especially because you're all men, and I know that men will listen to this podcast, is, you know, men are definitely more inclined to not deal with the stuff, not deal with the shit, you know? And, you know, one thing I'll say is 
I was doing my own healing and I went through those deep, dark tunnels and and I, I knew what I was doing. Like I knew I was healing. I was um, I knew I was processing, processing a lot of pain and trauma. But what happened was when my repressed memories of childhood abuse came up, you know, it actually triggered my own husband and his healing journey. But, you know, he didn't want to and wasn't really ready yet to look inwards, to go on his own healing journey. But I could feel, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know what it is. I've always been able to energetically just feel something, especially in my husband. And um, it came to a point with him that I had said to him, um, you know, I can't keep going this way. Like I'm spending, I'm really dealing with my own shit. But I was like, you know, there is something within you that you're not looking at. And I'm afraid that one of these days you're not going to come home because you are not dealing with something, you know. Mm. And either we part ways now and I'll go on my own healing journey and you can choose to turn a blind eye and do whatever you need to do. Um, or you look, start looking at your stuff and start healing. And it's only at that point where he said, OK, I might need to look in and start healing. He went to the gym that day. He went to do his exercises and he broke down on the floor crying. Wow. I went to do a breath work. I um, I've been doing breath work, you know, a bit. And I'd done a breath work. I don't know if it was, you know, before this point. But in the breath work, it was the most painful thing I'd ever seen. I saw it was my husband's um, funeral. And I was there with my kids because he had killed himself. Yeah. Because he wasn't dealing with his own trauma. And it's only now that he will admit that that's how much he was struggling at that point. But he was so afraid of facing it and he had repressed his own trauma, his own wounding so much and normalized it. He had normalized, you know, the violence in his home. He had normalized all of these things that Irish people normalize. And I think across the world, yeah. but he'd said, oh, sure, that's fine. Do you know, sure. Like everyone gets a bit of a stick and everyone. But when you think about it, when a little boy has a parent that is, you know, hitting them or whatever that may be, even shouting. You know, if you have a little child and if you think about the size you are when you're small and a big person shouting at you, screaming at you, it's terrifying. That is trauma. That is really what's lodged in your system. So, you know, he decided to go on the healing journey. And one of the things that we used, um, I don't know if you've heard about MDMA psychedelic therapy. Yeah. So we've used that a lot, um, myself and my sister started with that initially. Um, and that's been probably the game changer for us and our healing. And at that point, my husband had never done drugs in his life. He doesn't drink. Yeah. He doesn't even drink caffeine. Um, but at that point, he was like, you know, I'm desperate. I need I need help. And uh, Sorry, what, what did you notice first when your husband started? Like when you started to notice first about that, he was a bit upset or? It was a lot of the projection. So what I mean by projection is he was, um, I guess, getting quite angry and frustrated with me. We weren't, we'd never been, you know, we were always had a very good relationship and he was always very supportive, but it was the way that he was reacting to his environment that showed me he was a lot more stressed and struggling a lot more. Um, and also at that time, you know, none of his family knew anything about the fact that me and my sister had come up about our repressed memories. I was literally, you know, I had been suicidal. I was absolutely on the edge of life. And my husband was going to work every day, not telling anyone, 
that his wife, like he was getting calls from me a few times a day. And not only that, that he wasn't aware that all of the stuff that was happening within me was happening, triggering his own stuff that he hadn't dealt with. So it was a lot of that, you know, he was projecting a lot of his frustrations and a lot of his anger towards me. And I was like, I can't deal with you putting your stuff onto me on top of everything I'm already trying to process. And we do that all the time. Like, you know, if you're going to get angry, you generally get angry at your partner or you get angry at your kids. It's always the ones that are closest to you. It's a way of us to offload some of that that anger, that sadness, that pain or the fucking road rage, you know, whatever it is. Well, I was, uh, Ash can tell you this and vouch for this. When I first got diagnosed, like for the first couple of months, I, I was very angry, very confused. You know, and I pushed them away. Mm. You know, I didn't, I was always running out the door to be cancer. You know, I didn't want to be around them. I found, found it very hard and, you know, we had to go down and had a ser- serious conversation, you know. Mm. Um, when you had that first conversation with your husband, you know, about, you know, suicide and that, who who was it that brought that conversation up first? And how did that go? At that point... You know, it was me that had said at that time um, initially. And I more so said that, you know, you're struggling a lot more than you think you are. And I'm worried about that. Like, I'm worried that you're going to do something stupid. Um, He didn't really deny it that much initially. I think he just, you know, kind of went and processed it. And that's when he had gone to the gym and he was like, okay, you know, I need to I need to start looking at this. I need to start working on it. Um, and it's only, yeah, it's only because he's doing the internal work now that he was like, holy shit, I was very, yeah. I was very unstable. I was not in a good place. So, I, uh, sorry. Um, so you said you started to unravel yourself and your sister started to unravel these suppressed memories. Before then, before you made the choice to look inwards, were you just a happy-go-lucky person or were you a bit depressed or did you feel like something was up? Could you remember things? Oh, do you know what? Like, before my suppressed memories came up, I was such a different person. Really? Yeah, like, if you had met me, I was just like, you know, I was pure bubbly. I was happy all the time. Like, I'm happy now, but I'm very relaxed. I'm in my body, my like like my internal environment. I'm really relaxed. I'm not nervous. I'm not jittery. Back then, I couldn't sit still for two seconds. My anxiety was so bad. I was constantly busy, constantly running. I was happy all the time, positive all the time because I rejected every bit of bad emotion within me. I was just like, just keep running. And just keep happy and you'll be fine. So I wasn't aware of any of the trauma or any of the pain, really. I wasn't consciously aware. But, you know, I always kind of just had an idea or a feeling that just something wasn't right. Like, there's just... I just felt something wasn't quite right. And to be honest, I think a lot of us feel like, you know, I don't know, there must be more to life. There's there's something that's not yeah. right. But one of the other indications for me was, you know, if I had any confrontation, like to so say in the early days, especially if my, my husband and I would fight, I would be nuts. Like I would just, the fear of abandonment was intense that I would get quite depressed or suicidal or, you know, um, and also drinking was really dangerous for me. If I drank, then, you know, I'd get really depressed. Um, 
And so it was kind of those little things that were generally the indicator. Um, but then once I started to look inwards and actually stop and do some of the internal work, that's when I kind of became aware of the thought patterns in my head and they were pretty ugly, you know. And your sister lives in Perth. Yeah. So when you were doing this, doing the MDMA, did you find that, um, would you just talk to each other during the... the oh no, we did it individually. Right. So yeah. you just sit in silence and, yeah. and be aware of what you're feeling and yeah. what you're thinking. And you know what? I think with MDMA, I found it really fascinating because, you know, initially, like she, my sister has always had severe PTSD. Um, you know, a lot of people that have PTSD don't know they have PTSD. Yeah. Me and her did not know we had PTSD. Um, hers was pretty bad. She would have nightmares all night, pretty much like stifling, paraly- paralysis, um, just plagued by night terrors all the time um me it was really interesting you know I to look at me you would think that I have ever like I was you know just living the high life it was the kids that tipped me over the edge it was the kids that cracked me open Mm. really they are so hard um because I got sick when when Brody was one and we we found it really hard he didn't sleep for a year Mm. you know it was extremely difficult um when when you when you had uh, the kids first, do you think you know prenatal depression or anything? Was there anything involved with that, or was it just when you know, the past? Yeah, when I had my first son, definitely when I went when I got home, I definitely had a good bit of like I was like, is this postnatal depression? You know, is there something here? Um, but you see, because I become a health oh no, I didn't have hadn't become a health and life coach at that time. But I had already started doing a lot of the inner work. Looking into it. Yeah. So when he had come along, I had a few tools in my tool belt to be able to kind of overcome the the anxiety and stuff. And life was good with him for probably the first, I think it was when he got to about 15 months, um, started testing the limits, testing the boundaries. That's where I really, he really started, I really started. When you said testing the limits, just playing up crying yeah essentially like I really struggled with the crying like I hated you know anytime that they would cry or um if they had any emotions if they had any strong emotions you have to think about it I was literally spent my whole entire life keeping the tightest lid on all of my pain on all of my anger on all of my sadness all I would have was just calm happy joyful and the kids really they they messed with that you know that was my identity my identity was I'm happy I'm you know like I keep my my shit contained and the kids essentially then came and they mirrored all of the anger and the sadness because kids are kids they are very unapologetic about their needs do you not think, you not think all mothers are like that or find that struggle at the start of oh mothering? definitely but I think that that's also the fact that I I think that most of us um weren't ever really allowed to feel the extents of our emotions you know as in there's very few kids that you would see, you know, being allowed to be angry or really sad without saying, shh, 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 stop, 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 you know, like, or go piss off or go, go, go on your iPad. That's suppressing their emotions. That's telling them it's not okay to have emotions. And whereas I was trying to allow them to have the emotions, to ride the wave of their anger, then they'll come out the other side and they'd be like, oh, that's okay. I feel good. But whereas children, most of us, you know, if we got angry, 
you know, I would, I would get repercussions. If I got angry and I showed any of the pain that was inside me, I would be shamed for it. And so every time they got angry, I was like, what do I fucking do with this? Like, yeah. what do I do with anger? Like, anger's not good. So I was like trying to, you know, suppress them. But they were fucking, oh, they were intense. Yeah. My kids were like, and I'm so grateful for them because it was only because of them and their fight that I kept on looking inwards. They, oh, they were just nightmares. My my oldest, um, you know, he put my husband's dr- drill in the bath and then he took my phone and put it in the toilet and then he would get the milk and spill all over the floor. Like really just, and you know what? At that point in time, I was really struggling to get out of bed. Like our memories had just come up and it was really traumatic. And he was just like, I need a mom and you're going to be here. So I'm going to spill shit on the ground and I'm going to throw shit in the bath until you get out of that bed and take care of me. You know, mm. that kind of way. You spoke about looking for another group or another platform to find other mothers similar to you. Yeah. And and did you find any no. in terms of like uh, the way you spoke in your first podcast? Well, the one we heard about your sister, you were brutally honest. Oh, I was so isolated. I was so alone. Like I really felt it, you know. Because the reality was, was people were saying, oh yeah, I shout or I might give them a spank on the bum. I really felt unhinged. Like I just felt like, you know, I was okay and then I'd be calm. But then they would do something and I'd just fly off the handle and I couldn't control my emotions. I couldn't control my triggers. And honestly, for a lot of the time, I would actually check out. Like I wouldn't literally be here. Like it was as if someone else had my hands and they were just like shaking them. And I was worried. Like I was concerned for my kids well-being because I was like I don't know what this fucking monster is inside of me like this monster needs to go and but what I realized was this monster was just trying to protect the wounded little child within me and she saw the boys as a threat you know their emotions were triggering all of this unhealed pain within me because every time they had these big strong emotions it just triggered all those times that I didn't and wasn't allowed to feel my own pain. And when I said earlier on, you know, when you have not allowed yourself to feel or process any of your trauma from childhood, it's all there until something triggers it. And then it comes up and you're like, oh, what do I what do I do with this? We get so uncomfortable. That's a lot of the time when self-harm happens, when, you know, you have trauma that comes up into your body and you don't know what to do with it. And so, you know, that can be where people then start taking the roots of, you know, cutting or Mm. many different types of self-harm techniques. It's just a way to draw their attention away from the amount of pain that they're feeling in their body. And they just don't understand how to process it or feel it safely. With, with with the shouting at the kids and the, because I'm very interested in that, like the the shouting or the like the punishing, whatever form it may be, whether it be spanking or shouting, do you find that it's like how you were, how you were dealt with as a child? Like would your parents or whoever your mind might have been shouted at you or spanked you as, and you're just kind of repeating how what you know or was it just the trauma that was coming out of you, do you think? Oh no, definitely. I reckon if you, if you cut me out... <laughs> And put me back and put me on top of my mother. We were literally the exact same carbon copies. I wasn't consciously, I was like, you know, I don't want to be my mom. But what I find and what I find with my clients is the more that we say, I don't want to be my own mom or I don't want to be my own dad. You know, it's nearly in trying not to be them that we become them. It's crazy. But, you know, in reality, you can't not be your parent unless you heal the trauma and the wounds within yourself. And the only reason I say that is... 
you know, one of the things that I find is if, say, for example, if I was shamed for being weak, right? Don't cry. Crying's weak. Then if I was given that narrative as a child, come on, stop crying. Don't be weak. Don't be a pussy, whatever that is. Then I learn, okay, it's not good to be weak. It's it's not good to cry. These are shameful. I will be rejected and I will not have any parents anymore. And if we think about losing a parent or a caregiver, it's easier to just suppress your own emotions. And so a lot of boys, specifically boys and girls as well, you then are forced to be tough. Mm. Don't have emotions. Don't be weak. Don't cry. But then when you have a boy yourself, it's very hard to allow them to have a behavior that you weren't allowed to have. It's really extremely triggering for us as adults because the little boy or girl within us who was shamed for being weak or for me, it was selfish, being selfish, being greedy, being um, attention seeking. You know, all of these things I would get triggered by with my own kids. You know, if they were, if I thought that they were selfish it will put me in a blind rage because I was shamed for being selfish. You know, I was trying to fix them in order to fix myself. And it was just a a vicious cycle. So the more that I just found that where I could allow them to, you know, um, I guess do the opposite would be uh, allowing them to have emotions and allowing them to have experiences that I wasn't allowed to have as a child. Yeah, With the men, I think it's it's an all Irish saying, isn't it? Come on now, big boys don't cry. Like that, is, you hear that all the time. Like, yeah. I, I know as a father, I treat my son different to my daughter. Mm. I don't know why, but I just, you know, it's I'm stricter with my son. And when when he was growing up, he was he was the diff, more difficult out of the two, which I don't think is very uncommon. But um, I remember one day that stands out. And I've told Ash this before. Um, I was screaming at him. He was after annoying me, triggering me, doing something. Mm. I was screaming at him. He's in the kitchen and he got so scared that he, he, he pissed himself, right? And he was standing there and I felt so guilty. And it, it just made me think. I had to think back. I, I moved around schools a lot when I was younger. And I, I left England and um, um, we moved to Dublin, back to Dublin. And I was going to school in Dublin, brand new school. And I remember going in there and... um the teacher brought me out to speak to the headmaster. The headmaster walked off and he said, I'll be back in a minute. And the teacher went into the classroom. Now I was busting to go to the toilet, right? And I was just too scared to walk through the toilet, uh, to the classroom and back back to the toilet where I knew where it was, but I was so I was petrified. I didn't want all these new people in there. And so, so I ended up wetting myself. And it just brought me back. And I remember seeing myself and him when I scared him, like I was scared that day. You know, like, and it's just these little things, like the same thing, like we're saying, like uh, you, you end up, uh, but I'm glad I can see it now. You know, you can mm-hmm. see these things. Do you think that was a oh, yeah. flip of a switch moment yeah, for oh, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that that was, and I keep going back to it because um, now it's just all, oh, come here, buddy. You know, yeah, yeah, I love that. H- hugging and kissing, I'm, I'm all, you know, everything's, we're, we're totally different now. Yeah. And uh, he's my buddy and he's this and that where... Me and my dad have the best relationship, you know. Um, but I was just like, yeah, it was just kind of, it was different. Um, obviously, I'm older. My yeah. dad was um, 20 when he had me. He was still, he was, he was a kid. Yeah. I was watching my father grow up, you know. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, in my 30s and that, and I think, yeah. So ever since that day, 
it, it has changed. Mm. But I could see it in me. And, and I think it's maybe because of my journey I was on doing the, um, after the diagnosis, doing the, the self-work and it, it came up. I don't think if I, was, if I wasn't doing the self-work, I think I would have just kept going. Yeah. You piss yourself. What you piss yourself for? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, I've done a lot of work on myself as well over the last like five, five years, I'd say. And um, stuff like that, stuff that the way I was brought up, which wasn't terrible, but the things that I don't want to pass down. And it was your sister that talked about the flinch response. Mm. And with my little girl, like, again, I'm, I've only got one daughter and I'm learning. But I'm starting to, like, she's she's being, if she's being bald, which isn't crazy bald, it's just more dangerous for her. And I let her roar at her and she would jump out of her skin. Mm. And it was only until your sister said it that I was like, yeah, I think I need to take that back a notch or two. Like, I don't want her to develop that. Because, yeah. like, yeah, I probably, I probably got a bit of that when I was young, you know? Yeah. Can, I, can I just say, jump in there and just say, I think that point of the episode was the the point where everybody... Me especially, just just the just when your sister spoke about you know going to the car and mm. and, and and your son having that flinch response through what well, was through the environment at the time, I kind of relate to my son then. But that oh, I got the biggest lump in my throat driving, mm. and I was just going, "Oh man, I'm gonna break!" And then. I remember you said to me, listen to this, I bet you'll break. I said, I won't break. I was, uh, I was listening, I got the biggest As if it's a competition. Throat. Yeah, big competition. <laughs> but uh, what was that? I know when you and Jackie were talking on the episode, you just got very emotional around that point. And I think it was the first time she'd mentioned it to you. She'd never told me that. Yeah. I think yeah. That, that, that's what was so powerful about it. You'd feel that, you, could, you knew as well that was the first time yeah. that you both had chatted about it. And it was so real. I stopped it. I stopped it. I had to go gather my thoughts. <laughs> so did I. And walk back because it was just, because it was so real. It's so, you listen to podcasts all the time, as we were chatting about earlier, and you hear people and they go up to certain doors and they might swerve around it or go around the topic. But I think he went straight through the door, in fairness, and mm. brutally honest, very raw and very, very open. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I think that's what we all chat about. And that's why we pass there. And that's what you do when you find or hear something like that. You pass there. Listen, you have to hear this. Pass and it on. You know, the reason, like, I think the reason why, when she had said that, oh, it fucking killed me. Yeah. Like, the thoughts, when, <laughs> if you could see what was going on in my mind me. when she said that in that moment. Sorry, just for a second, where were you when that when you recorded that? Oh, we were just sitting on my, my son's bed. Just on the bed? Yeah, just on the bed. That was it. And, um, you know, we'd been wanting to record that episode. And I was like, come on, Jack. And she was like, oh, are you putting it off, whatever. Cause she didn't want to yeah. say that. She, You know, I had said, be as honest as you want to say, whatever yeah. you want, you know. Has that has that helped you? Sorry to cut you off. Has that helped you talking like that, like with your sister? Like that? I find this helps me a lot, chatting like this, being open and honest. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's definitely helped me and my sister's relationship for sure. Because during that period, we were both very individual on our journeys. We were, you know, healing at the same time, but we were both, you know, sliding down mudslides into shit. And, um, you know, we've really been able to talk a lot about each of our individual experiences at that time and um, and how we were both affected by that and what we've learned from it, you know, which was really powerful. But, you know, with that episode, with regards to the, um, that moment in the episode, I think one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to leave it in was because I was like, you know what, there is so many people that will listen to a podcast 
And they'll come off thinking, you know, yeah, but they don't know me. I've done worse or I've done this or I've done that. And I really wanted to leave that in and have that raw moment with my sister, because honestly, there's nothing worse than have your sister say that on a live podcast, you know. Mm. But I was like, you know. It's real though. I'm so real. I'm ashamed in the moment. I was so ashamed in the moment and I was fucking hated myself. I was like, you know, so angry with myself. But the reality is, is you know, I was giving it everything every single day. And I just was like, I want people to know that no matter what the relationship is with their kids now, like, you know, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It really doesn't matter. Please find the courage to forgive yourself and, you know, move forward, try and heal. Because I, I'm honestly, it's the shame that's killing us. It's the shame that stops us from healing. It's like, oh, well, I fucked it up now. I've done it. Do you know, I've already fucked them up. I've, I've, I'm a shit dad. I'm a shit mother or whatever it is. It's people are too afraid to talk about it because no one gives the platform. We're so quick to shame parents. You know, on my group, I shared about this, um, this incident. There was, we were at a campsite. Sorry, before you yeah, get into, can we just share your group? Because we haven't actually mentioned what oh, your group yeah. is, the so Facebook page. So it's um, Let Me Be Free, The Wounded Inner Child. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, essentially it's just a group where... On Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Oh, before you get in, so are you on Instagram? No. No. So you, I'm you, following the wrong Let Me Be Free. <laughs> 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 so yeah, because I think we're mostly Instagram and then you're mostly um, Facebook. Our Facebook isn't really... Um, I do follow the Facebook page. Yeah. 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 Uh, what, do, you, do you think you might set up an Instagram page or... I might really? do. You know, I think I, I think um, I find it hard on Instagram because I bloody talk so much. Yeah, like as in yeah. my posts are, are not little posts. They're pretty long yeah. posts and they're pretty in-depth posts, you know. So I think I just find that hard on Instagram because that's if what, I try and what, do that's it. That's we like it. Then you yeah. 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 don't have to write a whole But I struggle lot. with the, the short ones, you know. Yeah, I, I'm, love, we love the short ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mine are too intensive. And I had one person that was like, can these be a bit shorter? And I'm like, no, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't do much short. Um, just with episode one, before we move on, you mentioned about leaving it in. Was there anything you did take out? Nope. No, left it in. That's good. I like hearing yeah. it. It felt like at that moment when your sister said that about the car, it felt like you pressed pause or you stopped it. But no. you obviously just both went quiet. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Yeah. I just, you know, in that moment, I was like, holy shit. Honestly, I was, I was fucking bringing myself back from the brink. Yeah. I had all this, the, the same suicidal thoughts. I'm better off not being here. My kids are better off without me. Oh, they all started playing in that moment. Mm. I fucked them up. You know, I did that. Because the reality is, is, you know, none of us really get an opportunity to see how we are perceived from the outside. None of us want it either. Yeah. But I'm so dedicated to my healing and I'm so dedicated to being the best version of myself that... I don't want to be afraid of anything. I don't want to be afraid of anything that's in the past. I don't want to be afraid of anything that's in this present moment. I don't want to be led by fear. I've spent my whole entire life afraid of fucking everything, afraid especially of what's in me. And now, no, I just, I don't give a shit. Have you had many mothers coming up to you and saying thanks for sharing and thanks and and? Uh, been in similar situations than you when I did the um Janet Lansbury podcast I had lots like yeah. lots of parents lots of parents kind of saying that they were afraid to get to go to psychologists and afraid to get help was that the fear of going somewhere and potentially your kids yeah. being taken away yeah 
It's that fear. It's the fear also of shame and judgment, because when you're at that point, you're really teetering on the edge, you know, and if you go to a psychologist and, you know, some psychologists, you know, I am i haven't good and bad, you know, good and bad and everything. Um, but some, if you get a bad one, it's bad experience. And, you know, I've, I've known so many that would be like, oh, we just, you just can't do that. You know, you have to, you know, watch your emotions, you know, take care of your own emotions and breathe before you, you know, do something like that. But when the way, where I was, you know, I had all the tools. I had absolutely every tool in my tool belt and I still couldn't stop myself from being physical because my trauma was overtaking my whole entire body. I could not in that moment make a different decision. And I wanted, you know, that was the main thing. I wanted parents to understand that, you know, it's not a forever thing. It's actually just a momentary thing that if you face the the trauma, face whatever it is, the, the pain that's within you, this will go away. You won't always be this reactive. This is just this moment. But for so many people, they were afraid, like I was afraid, of going and being judged and shamed for something that you're already judging and shaming yourself for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the point of the the group was to really create that space where if I can show every bit of shame that I have, it gives other people a, um, a space to share their deepest shame and be heard, which has been profound. Was, was there any... Um hate messages or anything like that come your way? Nothing. No, not one. Were, were you kind of gearing up for some sort of backlash, you know, mm. or you're just kind of... No, I wasn't really. Yeah. Like, I didn't really expect to have much backlash. Um, uh, in, in you know, me and Jackie's first episode, I would probably be more kind of like, oh, will I get backlash? I definitely did have a bit of a shame, you know, will I have people that, you know, will be ashamed? And, and also... You know, when I met people after the podcast, people would have known, I've told people I've struggled, but it's very different telling people you've struggled and listening to a podcast like that. So what I found was after the podcast, when I would meet people and know that they'd listened to the podcast, that's when I was like, yeah. Oh God! Yeah, like judgment. Yeah, really. I was like, are they looking at me different? Like, do they see me now as being? Maybe they're afraid to leave their kids with me. Yeah, maybe they're yeah. afraid that I'm going to attack their kids. And I remember one day I was at my oldest, and um, you know he went off and he came back, whatever. And he's a beautiful little boy, and you know, and that is down to me. That is down to my parenting, the amount of work that I've put in, um, the amount of repairing I've done, the amount of open. I would have open conversations with them, very open. So why did you roll this at the moment? He's five. He's five. Yeah. Right. But the things that he said to me over the last few years is unreal. Like, but, but essentially I remember that moment, you know, and he, I was looking at him, we were with some friends and I was like, fuck, you know, he's an amazing child. He's just a really happy, really content, amazing little boy. So if people want to think that I'm a bad mother, let them think it. Because all that matters to me is this little guy in front of me that that he knows that, that I did everything for him and he's proud of me. And I know he is. So at least as long as I keep on showing up every single day to be better than I was yesterday, not only for him, but for me, because I deserve better, then that's all I can give myself. And that's all I can give him as well. And my husband. Yeah. And I feel like... Even though you have that fear of people to t- judgment or whatever they might, you might think they might say, after you listen to that, you can't help but admire and respect your honesty and mm. they, you can tell it's coming from a good place. Mm. Yeah. That's what and, I and felt. And it's brave. We we spoke about 
this um, before getting like when when we were doing our episodes, they're very very intense. Uh, it took me about five weeks to finally mm. say what I had to say, and it's not something that I'd like to keep revisiting. Um, maybe if if it was spaced out, but you know, are you able to talk about it as freely now, or yeah? Or, you can talk. I can about, talk about everything. You, can, you, you can, and you can yeah. go. You could do another podcast, and and, and yeah. say, okay. Yeah, like I, you know, I um very unique. Why I don't really get that nervous, you know, here or on any podcast or anything. It's a bit woo, I guess. But I've always kind of been like this. Even when I've had client sessions, I kind of just surrender. I'm like, whatever I say in this room is exactly what I'm meant to say, and I just surrender to kind of some greater good that whatever is meant to be said will be said um and so I just follow that so I don't feel like I'm really trying to say anything or trying to be anything I don't really believe that I'm the one giving a message right now I just believe that whatever is um meant to come through me for the people who are ever listening to this that is exactly what I will say in the same way I believe that all of us will say I believe that all of us are kind of guided by some some greater purpose that the reason why we're all sitting here in this in this room is to deliver a message to people who are listening and in each podcast everyone gets something very unique and very different you know uh, and that's what I found especially with the first one you know some of the feedback I got was that, that's what they got from the podcast yeah. I was like Whoa, people really yeah. listen through their own filter and that's exactly the way it's meant to be yeah I feel like People will definitely get a message from this one if they haven't heard your own podcast. Could you tell us what type of healing and inner work you do? Yeah, I've done everything. Yeah, I've done that. everything. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, again, for the podcast, because I've done everything and I've really found benefit in so many, so much of it. We have actually interviewed a lot of our different therapists. So I've a. Uh, I did craniosacral therapy and I'll go into, I can go into a little bit, uh, but we've done full, full episodes on what these therapies are, what we did in them, what the experience was, you know, but craniosacral therapy, um, which is an energy type therapy, kind of like Reiki. Um, I did a bit of kinesiology, wasn't my favorite. You know, it, it didn't really um, help me as much because I believe that if you have suppressed memories, it's quite difficult. Uh, kinesiology can only get to a certain level, I believe. Might be wrong, but that's been my experience. Um, I did IFS, so that's internal family systems, which is kind of about parts work. So um, that's about working. It's similar to inner child work, which means that each of us have not only one part of us, like I'm all win. There's a part of me that's like, do you ever, do you ever, um, you know, meet someone you're like, Jesus, they're like a child. It's their child part that is active, you know, or Jesus, they're angry. That's their protector part that is active. So each of us, you know, you have the part of you that goes to work and then the part of you that's with your wife and the part of you that's a father, you know, there's many parts of us. So that's IFS therapy and inner child work, which is a lot what I do in my own therapy with my own clients. And then somatic healing is also what I do with my clients. And somatic healing is essentially, you know, why I I think somatics probably one of the most um, profound healings, which is essentially just feeling safe in your own body. And um, when you have any type of trauma, a lot of the times when you have a traumatic event, you kind of fragment, you detach from your body. Do you know much about disassociation? 
So essentially, you know, I think most people have a level of disassociation. If you say that you zone out a lot or you daydream a lot, a lot of the time that's us disconnecting from our body. It means that we're not present in the moment in our body. And so it's a defense mechanism. Um, a lot of the times when, say, if I was with my children, um, you know, I would disassociate. But if they need me, they, that I'd have to come back present into my body. And that was really triggering for me. So somatic therapy is essentially about um, working with your nervous system. You know, anxiety is the fear that you feel in your body. We're always trying to escape it. So we're always trying to find something to numb it. Gambling, shopping, you know, eating, drinking, whatever you pick. They're all addictions. You know, cleaning, you know, cleaning is a massive one for, for women. It keeps us busy, keeps us away from feeling what's in our somatic or feeling body. And so somatic therapy was essentially helping me to feel safe in my body so I could sit in a moment and not feel like I was just going to fucking lose my mind. Um, and that was really about working with the nervous system um, and working with my own emotional body. Um, psychologists, I find talk therapy not that for you. useful for me. Yeah. Um, I just find reiterating what's happening in, in the present because I don't believe... I believe that as well, yeah. Yeah, most of what I feel like um, we're dealing with in the present is generally linked to something in the past. Um, and so... You know, I think that it's it's a lot of surface level when we're and by the time you end up explaining what's going on in your day or your week or your year, the session's, session's over, over yeah. you know. So I always found that that was never really that beneficial for me um, or my sister. We didn't find that. Um, we do have a, a psychologist, actually, but she is trained in IFS. Um, so she does parts work. And you said you don't breath work. Breath work. Yeah, so breath work, I did a breath work every day, ice baths. We have an ice bath at home. So we were doing that every day. Essentially, me and my husband were doing that every day. Now, I don't do that often because I don't need to. I did it at the time because my nervous system was so hyperactive. I found that when I was really triggered or really heightened, um, I would get in the ner in the ice bath and it would just calm down my nervous system. It would bring when That would be when I'm very disassociated. It would bring me centered into my body when I got in the ice bath. With the breath work, did you, would you do like three rounds of two minutes or would you do long, deep yeah. shamanic breath work? I mix between, um, I would do the Wim Hof one or else I do the DMT breathing. I found yeah. DMT breathing really good. Um, but, you know, I feel like all types of um, modalities, oh, and journaling, like journaling is probably one of my favorite things. Um, but I think all types of modalities, you know, are very unique. I think you know i think you were talking about meditation weren't you yeah you know this is what i was i was listening to your podcast and i was like oh meditation <laughs> oh it's one of my things like you know i i think meditation i love meditation and i do meditate sometimes now but i did meditate quite firmly for for a period of time you know i believe that if you're going to meditate it's not actually really, I believe, about the, the what is going on within your mind. The mind is only the monkey that's keeping you away from the feelings that you're feeling in your body. So if you are having a problem meditating, you're not having a problem meditating, you're having a problem being with the, the sadness, the grief, the pain, the anger that's in your body. So, you know, if I... It's a I, great way of explaining that. Yeah. It really yeah. is. So if you're, if you have a problem meditating, you don't have a problem meditating. You have a problem being with the emotions that you don't want to feel, that you're running from. 
And so when people say, I just can't switch off my mind when I'm meditating, I'm like, no shit. Your mind is absolutely adept at saying, here's a monkey, here's a monkey, here's a monkey, look over here. So you're not focusing on all this deep pain that you don't want to see, that you don't want to feel and that you don't want to process. So it's very hard to meditate unless you are aware of you know, your body and what you're feeling in the moment. So a good way of if you want to start meditating and you have a great big, you know, that monkey mind, I would be very much looking at, okay, let me sit here for five minutes and I'll breathe. And when I feel my mind is going crazy, I'll go, hmm, what am I feeling? Like, am I feeling an emotion right now? What I do for a lot of my clients that don't, that, that can't, tap into what they're feeling. I just print off a sheet. I actually have a handout. Anyone can have it. But essentially, the way that I see it is from childhood, you know, if you see an electrical cord, what happens is the electrical cord gets cut. You've got your mind and then you've got your feeling body, but there's no connection. The wires are all, you know, uh, what would you say? Separated. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is, you know, when you're trying to meditate, you're trying to connect the wires between the mind and the feeling body, you know, but it's, it's a very uncomfortable process. But if you can, you know, if you can say, look at, if you're going to do a meditation, if you have that sheet of paper and you're sitting and you say, okay, you know, what is it I'm feeling in my body? And you look at the piece of paper, see where your mind and your eye draws to, if your eye draws to the section, you know, um, scared, it's like, okay, Okay, I might be feeling scared right now. And then you'll have another box that is a bit more specific. Okay, under scared is um, I feel fear unsupported. Okay, I feel scared and I feel unsupported in my body. And you're just naming that. That's meditative. That's just being like, okay, so that's what's happening. My mind is going batshit crazy because it's trying to pull my attention away from the feelings I'm feeling in my body. So we're just trying to reconnect the two our mind with our feeling body so that we can understand in our everyday life what we're feeling. The one thing that I find also is really powerful is if you want to meditate or create a meditative practice, I say do it while you're doing other things. You know, like so say if you're washing the dishes, you know, I say put on a timer for say two minutes and say, you know, I'm just going to ignore my mind for two minutes and just feel what's in my body. Just notice, notice sensations just as you're washing the dishes being like, what do I feel in my body? You know, you'll recognize your mind will go nuts. Your mind will be like, yeah, but you have to call this person. You have to do this. You have to do that. But it's just again about creating that connection between your mind and what you're feeling in your body. There is, there is, um, Walking meditations hmm. and running meditation, like I'm better at them yeah. than sitting still. And I don't know if it's anything to got to do with the way your brain's wired or if you've got traits of ADHD, whatever it is. But some people can sit there and it's fine. And hmm. some people get much better, you know, if they go out walking and they put earphones in and this, you know, I know I do. So yeah. that's that's something I've been doing a bit more regularly. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's that side of things. But um yeah, do you think uh, do you so do you are you doing any meetups with with your with your Facebook group or anything like that? You know, I haven't just- been um mainly because you know uh, last year I was just really kind of saying, I'll start the podcast. I'll take on a few clients. Um, I don't advertise or anything. They just message me every so yeah. often. And then I just 
get referrals and stuff. So that's kind of the way I was doing it. Um, I'm going to start doing um, groups now and stuff like that because, you know, it's really handy. I'm actually looking for a venue if there's anyone that knows any place that is easy. It's a pain in the arse trying to find a venue. And I'm very much, it has to be easy or I won't do it. Yeah. And so they were like, what's your ABN and what's your business name and how long are you run? And I was like, oh no, too hard, too hard basket. <laughs> so I'm well, like, I'll go on the podcast and I'll see if anyone um, comes up with any What's your ABN? Dianella. So you're Dianella. Mm. I might not go, I'll talk to you after. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. The, the Irish club or somewhere. Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah. I, I know a facility that yeah. was all stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So great. So I, I'll, you know, I want to create more of a, like a lot, not, there's not as many, you know, there's some, there's a lot of people in Perth that are on the group, but, um, but I am going to be creating more stuff, um, for Perth without a shadow of a doubt, not only just for um, myself and work and everything, but actually more because I want to create a community of healing and also a community of more awareness about what people are experiencing in everyday life, in the moment, Sorry, in their body. Do you see yourself living here long term? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I don't talk to my parents anymore. I don't talk to my mom, my dad. And um, and unfortunately, I don't really talk to my, I have, I have four brothers, uh, I don't talk to them that much. I have one that I do talk to sometimes, but um, yeah, my brothers are amazing and I absolutely love them, but um, do you I think, haven't been able to. Sorry, do you think they've listened to the podcast? No. Nah. No? No. Nah. Not even a little curiosity? I, d- well, I don't think they have, but well, I just don't think they would because I think it just would be very painful and very difficult for them to listen to. And as well, they don't want to believe that it, um, that the abuse happened. Hmm. Um, and so it's very hard for them to listen to something that they don't believe in. So that's the only reason. But if they want to listen to it, like, you know, I, I really wouldn't mind. Like, it wouldn't bother me if they listened to it. Um and whatever feelings they have about it, they would have about it. Yep. But I love my brothers. Like, they're yep. absolutely amazing. But unfortunately, I have to choose me and yep. have to choose my kids. And yeah. Um, yeah. Like you were saying about the, you're trying to get a place of healing going in Perth. I think that's brilliant for the Irish community. Mm. I know there's a few going around. Like, I don't want a lot of Australians and stuff. But I think it could be massive in the Irish community because not only do people... They, they, it's just a lack of awareness. People yeah. don't know about these things that is going on. Yeah. But um, you, you say it's obviously, would you have many men coming to you? You know, like I don't have that many men, but at the same time, they're trickling in, mainly because my husband has started this journey and um, and he's, he's incredible in, in himself. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think about... I think about this journey, you know, and I, I was wondering, I was thinking about this recently and um, I thought about in the last week, I was like thinking about kids, kids need their mom. And I thought all this time was about me, do you know, like I need to heal me, I need to fix me because my kids need me, mamas, you know, that's it. And in the last two weeks, you know, I just recognise that men are so important. Like, I mean, you know. Thank you. No, no, but, no, but you know, I, I think that men don't realise how important they are. I don't think my husband has realised how incredibly important he is to our family. You know, women these days, we're given this fucking stick of we can do everything. We can work. Mm. We can, you know, keep the house clean and we can be uh, fucking social and all this shit, whatever. We're, we can do all of these things. And I feel like it's kind of taken away the... Um, 
the the spotlight from what the men's role is in our life. And I've had to be quite independent in my healing. You know, I've had to be very strong because my husband, you know, at the start, he wasn't really able to be there with me um, because of his own stuff that was happening. And um, we actually, we went away last weekend and we got to really, really deeply connect. And, you know, I just said to him, I was like, you know, what I realized has been missing is you. This family has been missing you because what I find with my husband and what I find with men is they get more of an opportunity to get space from their kids. Like there's, it's more allowed, you know, I can work more, I can, you know, and it's not even a, I can, but it's, it's kind of okay for men to get the gym done, get their football in, get the, the work done and for families to be kind of the second or the third, because the women got it. The women got it all sewn up. Well, this is what I was going to ask. I'm going to say, um, when, when we, when you become a father, the mother and the, the, the baby, they're bonding, mm. you know, they're getting breastfed and, 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 and there's no bond like a mother and a child's bond. And the fellas, I think everyone listening there will be nodding their head. We feel useless, right? Or, and at least when we try to do something, you just feel like you're getting in the way yeah. and you feel like, and then sometimes, you know, obviously we're, we can just head out the door, like you said, and go football. So we kind of still have that life. The women, the girls don't. And then uh, there might be, that's when it might start a little bit of friction. I think yeah. everyone goes through it. It's a really, really tough time uh, for any relationship. And it's no secret when, when, when a baby comes along, you know, we've been tested. I'm sure everybody's mm-hmm. been tested, but it's just, um, I think the fellas out there that it's just, we do feel like it's, it's just a hard, it's hard to know what to do. Especially it's hard to know that role. The, it is. The role, like my yeah. my role, I thought then, right, I'm a dad now. I'm going to go out and make loads of money. Yeah. I have to get that house. And that's, and that's, that's, that's I, I drove myself into the ground. Yeah. And then when you were saying about trying to find, you know, different things to uh, distract you, work was mine. I was a workaholic, um, not in a good way. You know, I was just obsessed with trying to get money and, and this. And, and every time Ash would be saying something to me, I'd be saying to her, I'd be saying, no, no, this is my role, Leave with me i've got the kids or the kids aren't seeing you you're not here and this so it was it was really it's it was a real learning curve for me at the start and i didn't get it at the start like it was is that a generational thing from uh, point of view from ireland irish people that man the man goes out works yeah is that slowly changing i've definitely noticed it with my clients definitely like as in this dynamic but i think it's across the board but what i just recognized you know um you know recently with my own husband I think one of the things that I find with men is, you know, they have the same uh, not good enough, not worthlessness, um, you know, not whatever. We all kind of have that staple. We always have kind of that um, that bottom line of I'm just not good enough. They're they're you know, I can be a man and I can take care of the household and I'll get money or whatever that is, whatever that narrative. But what I found in reality is, you know, where my husband started doing the real deep inner work, he started to recognize that he felt very rejected by my kids, by our kids. You know, he felt like he just felt like he was never going to be good enough as a father. Like he always felt like, you know, he was never going to live up. And so it was nearly escaping how he felt demasculated at home. Like, you know, at least out there when I'm fucking making money, I'm a man, I'm doing something. Mm. 
But a man is someone who holds that space and that container for his kids that shows, you know, his kids how to be a man in the house, in the home. Us women can't do that. We can't be the father. We can't. I think most of us bloody think we can because we feel like we have to do everything. But what I recognise recently, what I was saying to my husband, you know, actually, you know, we did um, MDMA together. It was the first time we've ever done it together. It's fucking most incredible experience of my whole entire life. Sounds like a good party. <laughs> oh, you know what was so funny? I, I looked at the clock, it was 12, and then my sister had messaged, it was 7.30. We hadn't yeah. left, we hadn't moved an inch on the bed. Yeah. Just completely in our own zones. And then we talked and we opened up our hearts and we really connected. And I just said to him, I was like, you know, I was like, I'm tired of being strong. I'm tired of holding this fucking fort up because I'm afraid that, you know, you're, you think that you're not good enough for us and you're going to leave or whatever that may be. And I was like, we need you. We don't need you to bring in loads of money. We need you to be the man of this house and to take control of being that container for us. Hold me. Like, be that man for me. Be that container for me. Us women, like, I know for me, I just feel so independent. And I just, in that MDMA session, I was like, I'm fucking tired of being independent. I don't want to be codependent where he has to be my everything and I have to be his everything. But I want to be able to lean into him and to know that he's strong enough and he believes that he's strong enough to hold me. And so what we recognise, he has to do that work to realise that he's strong enough, he's man enough if he doesn't have the money, if he doesn't look like fucking, you know, John Wayne or whatever, whoever that those big dudes are. Joe Dilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have Asian to be hair. anything to be the man of this house. Yeah. You just have to be able to be vulnerable. And also, you know, he was so afraid of being rejected by our boys. Like that was his biggest fear. Like he hates trying to discipline them because they won't listen. And he feels that it's because he's not worthy. If they don't respect him, it's because he's not worthy. He's not good enough. He's not lovable. And so now we're really trying to shift the roles in our house where he can be that man, that container. We shift that energy from me doing all the mom stuff and being independent to me allowing myself to lean a bit more into him and for him to be that container for me and it's magical. When when you said, I don't know your your husband, but when you when you said, we need you to be the man in the house, that gave me chills. Like I I know that that'll hit home for him. Mm. Sometimes you know you just that needs to be said. You know. Yeah. And that's you know. And the thing is, is it's not that he wasn't even, he was always like, he just felt as long as I provide for ye, and as long as I make sure that ye have what ye need. And, you know, he was very hands on as a father. He's everything like that. But it was actually the thing that was missing was the belief, the belief within him. I could feel it off him. He just didn't feel like he was strong enough or, or good enough to be that man, that, con that, that container for us. And, you know, I was like, your strength is in your vulnerability, in your ability. Like he's gone, he goes to men's circles now. Like I'm telling you, you met my husband a few years ago. This is not him. Yeah. Like he would never, not, no psychologist, nothing like that. He was completely man's man. You know, you don't, you don't be vulnerable. And now he's breaking down at men's circles every second week. And he just, I don't think he's ever felt as free. Yeah. Or as happy as what he does now. It's great it when you get it, get it off your chest. I, I've done in my her, um, healing journey, um, I've done some ayahuasca and, you know, you're sitting around and you're, you're sharing and you're just, you're so vulnerable. 
and you get it off. And I think it's probably what made it easy to do this podcast. Not easy, but um, you know, pushed me in the direction of just being vulnerable and not been a, not been. Me and Ash, we sat down at a table um, after I'd done maybe one or two ayahuasca sessions, and I told her stuff we've been together for. Uh, 15 years careful 15. now Gary <laughs> <careful. laughs> uh, for those who don't know Ash is in the room here so, um, so I think it's yeah it's about 16 years anyway but I've told her like lots of stuff she was blown away she was like it took you that long to tell me mm. you know um, uh, uh, <laughs> even even when I was at home um, you know I'd I done some mushrooms a uh, mushroom ceremony mm. you know uh, we went to you know this there's um, some monuments uh, around Ireland and these mushrooms grow there are you know are natural you know natural medicines so I went home to take them and same thing just just filled me so full of gratitude and you know sharing and just been able to I was just at peace with whatever's going to happen yeah. is going to happen yeah. you know I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to just be happy every day and I'll, I'll deal with it when it comes, you know. Mm. That's the main thing I got. And everyone gets a little different yeah. something from it's it. It's such you know? a unique experience. That's yeah. the most fascinating thing. Now, I've, I've had a few people that have done it now around me. Yeah. Um, and it's been, I love it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love, I love these experiences. I love uh, the way I see it. And, you know, they would have one MD experience and it's about the equivalent of a year's psychology, maybe two. Yeah. You know, just the way it just strips you down, but also just, you know, being very upfront that it's not something you can do without, you know, having the tools, having support, because, you know, it's like, it's great. You can really open yourself up and be like, holy shit, like, this is what this trauma is here and this pain is here and I can see it and I can deal with it. But then you wake up the next day and you have to integrate you yeah. have to deal with that when you're conscious, when you have the fear that comes back in. You have to have the tools to deal with that and the support to deal with that. So I wouldn't recommend that everyone just go yeah. jumping on, yeah. grabbing some drugs. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, uh, I, do, I think that what they do is they take off the mask that you wear every day and, exactly. and they strip back the ego and, yeah. they, and they show you for who you really are. Yeah. But I think it's an agreement with yourself when you're taking them, when you're doing whatever it may be, MD, ayahuasca, mm. mushrooms. It's an agreement with yourself that you're you're going in deep, and that that is only opening the door. And like you said, the next day and the next few months is when you have to walk through the door and walk yeah. down the path. Like, yeah, so well said. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. Like it is all of it. You know, I think it's it's everything within our lives, our relationships, relationships to our partners, relationships to our kids. That's a relationship. But the most important relationship that we can foster is the relationship with ourselves. So everything else is pointless yeah. if you can't find that ability to go inwards um, and ha create that relationship with yourself. What is it that I want? What is it that I need? Am I happy? Fuck. Do any of us actually ask ourselves in this day and age, am I happy with what I've got? We're terrified of the answer. We're terrified of asking ourselves because we're afraid that the answer is, no, I'm not happy. I'm not happy in this marriage. I'm not happy in this job because then we'll have to do something about it. Hmm. But isn't it better to ask yourself now rather than being 20 years down the line and be like, why didn't I fucking do some? Why didn't I change? Why didn't I do the hard work? There's more of us doing it now. We can do it in community. We can create the space. We are here creating this conversation. Us, what are the chances that us four and five, because Ash is here as well, <laughs> us could be in this space sharing in this way. I think it's such a privilege. Like you guys, you're very open. You're all very honest and you're really just 
so willing to, you know, look inwards. And for me, it's it's an absolute honor to be in a room with people like ye that are willing to do that. And I think we can create that. We can create this shift. We can create this tidal wave and make it okay. Make looking and reaching for what you fucking want the norm yeah. rather than settling for misery. And I did an interview with um, one of my clients there a few days ago and she's Irish. And she was like, Alwyn, like, the thing is, is I was in a loveless marriage for about, you know, I was in the marriage for 20 years. I probably, you know, was in a loveless one for 10 and she said, I thought we had it all. You know, we had the house and we had the kids had the nice clothes and whatever. You know, I thought we were just everything was fine. And she said, I didn't realize until I started doing this work how bloody miserable I was my whole life. Yeah. You know, none of it was really living. None of it was actually filled with any type of joy or happiness. It was just surviving. And like they say, do you really want to get to the end of your life and be like, you know, you're in that life review. Okay. Did I survive or did I actually live, you know? Um, and what what do I wish I spent more of my time on? And what do I wish I spent less of my time on? And if you could go there and see that life review, fucking change your life to align with, you know, the answers. I think these are some very powerful messages, I think. Yeah. Even to be honest, yeah. I think, I think it's because we are building up to this episode, like we've been talking about her and like when you're, when you're about to do something like... Um, psychedelics or whatever it may be, things start coming up for you before it happens. Yes. You know, so yeah. for the last few days, things have been coming up, and this gonna I'm gonna probably cop a bit of flack for this, but like I I said I was said for a while like yeah I I tried to change myself for my partner, and it's only the last couple of weeks that I realised I changed myself for me, but the reward was my life with my partner and with my daughter, and I think that's huge. Yeah. For me to realise that. And that's that's only come on me in the last couple of weeks now. Yeah. So I think And do you know what? That's really interesting because do you know what I found? I kept on saying, I'm living for my kids. Mm. Like, honestly, like every day. I was just like, I'm just living today for the kids. If I can survive to the end of this day for the kids. Kept on saying, I'm living for my kids. And one day I said, Alwyn, are you ever going to live for you? Mm. Are you ever going to really believe that you are deserving of better just for you? Not for some th- Just a bit more personal one. Do you think your kids someday will realise how brave you were during that hard time? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without yeah, do. And you know what? Like their resilience and um, who they are becoming as people, you know, they're a part, they're on this journey with me. Yeah. Like I don't separate myself from them. As in, you know, they say things, they'll say things to me um, that just the kids shouldn't know, like in tune or, you know, they'll ask me questions or, you know, one, once my son said to me a few months ago, he said, mommy, were you, were you happy as a child or were you sad? And I said, what do you think, darling? He said, I think you were very sad as a child hmm. and I'm sorry. And he gave me a cuddle. Hmm. That was just, yeah. you know, like. And it's because he has the language. He knows what the feelings are. He he can communicate. He can feel me. I'm very open. And I remember saying when I was struggling that time, I just kept on saying to him, I sat in the bed with him and I was like, I know that I'm scary and I know that I'm hurting you sometimes. And I'm really sorry. I have a lot of sadness in my heart. And every day I'm trying to be better for you. And I know I keep on failing sometimes, but I'm going to keep on trying every single day. And that's all I can do for you, darling. And he just gave me a big hug. And I was like, you know, 
if I think about my own childhood, I think if someone took responsibility for some of the pain that they imparted, it would have made a big difference, you know, and that's what I'm doing. I think if we all can take responsibility for the actions that we did, you know, we can't change the past. Um, We can try and change the present and take the actions and the steps, but we're still not going to be perfect. But I think it's all about, yeah, that self-compassion and realizing that we're doing the best that we can in the moment. And it is incredible how um, forgiving children are um, and how resilient. I think um, just I'm I'm so happy you've come on. And I think you're... You have a beautiful energy about you. I like sitting in the room. Like you you can literally, we could spend, I know you I, have to go. We know, could do a part I, two. We could be, <laughs> definitely love you to come back. I'm looking at yeah, the clock would. here and I'm just saying. We know like, you have to go as well. Oh no, my client, um, I told her I was doing the podcast. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll, do, we'll, we'll book yeah. in for another day. So yeah, um, just the messages there have been great. And um, like I said, uh, I can tell you're you're a very intelligent girl. And I wish you all the best in the future with everything, the podcast and, and obviously with the family. And you might see us down at workshops. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for You're coming. You're very on. welcome. Yeah. Thanks um, for having me. All Thanks right. For your honesty. Thank you. All right. That's us, guys. Episode 10 done. Yeah.